He's got to be pleased with that. The crowd is just on his feet here. He's a Cinderella boy. Uh, tears in his eyes, I guess, as he, as he lines up this last shot. He's got about 195 yards left. This crowd is going deadly silent. Cinderella story out of nowhere. It looks like I'm a wreck. It's in the hole! It's in the hole! Welcome to a Good Talk Spoiled Golf Podcast, episode 127. I'm James Richardson, I'm joined with Barry O'Hanrahan. Hey Barry, how are you? James, how's it going? Good to be back again. Yeah, not too bad. Uh, our Twitter handle is a good talk golf, and the email is a good talk spoiled at gmail.com. And uh, I suppose we'll start. Just saying thank you very much for all the feedback over the last week on Twitter and all the, the comments, very kind comments about the show last week and the fact that we're back after such a long hiatus. Got, gotta say, we were a bit apprehensive. We thought that there would be about four downloads, but we, uh, we had yeah, lots of you still subscribed, so thanks very much and we hope you enjoyed the show. And um, well, we're back here, one, well, eight days later, which is pretty good, or seven days later. So um, yeah, good to be back and yeah loving the flow let's keep going so this week we're gonna we're gonna look at obviously the all the events from last week and we'll look at later on in the show at next week's events but i suppose starting with our own games as we said to you last week on the podcast uh we're kind of like nomadic people at the moment wandering around looking for a golf club we have uh however made that decision this year this week that we're going to join uh the druids heath which is a golf club just very close to where we were playing in Glen of the Downs. Uh, it's a part of the Druids Glen complex, which has hosted a number of Irish Opens. Uh, I think Nick Faldo won in the 90s, and I think Sevier also won there. But um, it's a it's a beautiful complex, and uh, we're going to be playing out of the Heath, which is a lovely inland kind of park, uh, inland kind of linksy type style golf course. Kind of, yeah. And the, the Heath is definitely part of what what describes it. it is a Heathland, but with that kind of kind of a linksy vibe as well. You get that long kind of grass in between holes and places there's plenty of gorse there so and I'm sure I'm, I haven't played it at when it's firm and fast during the summer I can definitely imagine it playing quite linksy and you can you can run the ball into some of the greens now some of them are others are elevated and you're just not going to be able to run it in so it's uh, it's going to require very different strategies throughout the year and we'll get to that in a minute Like I, I suppose the the, the the way it looks more like a links or plays a bit more like a links is there's not as it's not all tree lined fairways there's mm. a lot of kind of long wispy grass grass course you know kind of that's the feel i suppose of a of a linksy type course rather than necessarily you know hundreds of trees uh, yeah. defining the fairways yeah 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 it's have a look at the website it's druidsglenresort.com and you can get in and have a have a gander around and we played our first, uh, well, sorry, it was a test round really on Sunday uh, with a couple of other ex-members of Glen of the Downs. Um, they were kind of checking it out as well. We were more or less set that we were going to join it, but uh, they wanted to have a look, so why not get a game of golf in? And we had a cracking, really beautiful day. Sunshine, not too much wind, no rain. And in early February in Ireland, that's an absolute blessing. We, you, you and I and your father played the front nine last year around this time yeah. and uh, we had to walk in after nine holes because uh, hail and snow and sleet and everything started hitting us. We did get to the 10th tee before we got we did. barraged, yeah. Um, we we knew the back we we knew the front nine last year from it and it's uh, there's some cracking holes but I think playing the back nine again on Sunday mm. for the first time just reminded me what a, a great thinking person's golf course it is. There's a lot of what looks like a really good line and you kind of get down and you've just a few yards to the left or to the right and you're blocked out from a, a, a good shot into the green. It's a very clever, clever course. You know, thinking of, say, the, the 12th hole, you know, it's, it's I think, index one and it's just a blind tee shot over kind of a hill out of bounds all along the right and you've got to be very aggressive because the further to the right the better your second shot in is further to the left you're further away from the out of bounds but you're completely blocked for the next shot it's just one of those great holes that when you when you play it for the first time you kind of want to go back to the tee box and go oh (laughs) 
Yeah, that's where I should have gone. Should have done a should have got a stroke saver for the day. But yeah, it was nice to we played off the green tee, so it was nice to feel our way into the course. It doesn't play very long off the greens, and so I handed in my membership application that day. And they, you know, they've been telling us after, over the presentation that a lot of our competitions will be off the greens, and the medals and the big majors will be off the whites. They can stretch the course to I think it's seven thousand four hundred yards off their black Paradise, yeah. black sticks. Um, I took one. I went, ran all the way back to the black tee box on uh, the ninth. And I, if you look back at our Twitter feed, I did a little montage of photos. But there's one there where you're surrounded by gorse with a, a very narrow exit for your tee shot, and that hole is just uh, ridiculous off the back tees. Um, I think they said they do one off the blacks, you know, during the year. And I'd love to try it. I mean, we like testing ourselves in, in you know against the toughest a golf course can play. If it destroys us, so be it. But it's you know it's, it's part of the fun and the challenge. So um, if I have to say, like off the greens, I find it very playable and very. Um, you, you can strategize your way around the course. Like I hit, I hit three iron off four, maybe five of the par four, uh, par four tee boxes, and was no more than a mid iron into or short iron into into the holes. So that was you know, mainly I, because you were driving it so badly that you just gave up hitting your driver at one point. But, well, <laughs> I, I, I didn't stop me from taking it out later on and around when needed. But I, I hit a couple of good drives. I hit some really shocking ones as well. But you know, I hit the three iron well, and uh, those holes were playing you know maybe mid three hundred yards. So I can hit my three iron you know in excess of two hundred yards. So I figure, what's the point in taking a driver out where I could disperse it all over the place? Or I can take my three iron and hit the fairway, and only have like an eight iron in. So it, it, it's a course that is going to require um, about being on the right side of a fairway for a shot in, or leaving yourself if you're going to miss it. You know, if you're going to come up short, you're going to have to be on the correct side of the green to come up short. Because I think on the first hole, I was I completely blindsided myself with a bunker downhill and everything just rolling away. It's just one of those really clever courses. If people want to see it, um, Mark Crossfield uh, on YouTube played around with uh, mm. two of his friends in the Heath, and uh, you can kind of fast forward some of the bits that are jokes that don't really work. But uh, you can get to to see the course as it's playing and what it's like. Um, yeah, I mean, if, and just to, to give people an idea. Um, about what kind of course and, and the thinking behind it. It's designed by Pat Ruddy. So Pat Ruddy is famous for designing the European Golf Club down in a little bit further south of Drew's Heath. And he's also designed Rosa Pena, Bally Liff and Port Salon. And, you know, he's he's got a very, very good reputation for forcing golfers into playing, playing golf and thinking about their golf to go around. And it's really evident around Drew's Heath. And I, I, like, I'm really excited for the challenge of learning a golf course a new golf course as my home course and we spoke in particular about having to learn greens again rather than or learn to read greens on a you know as new greens whereas Glendonane's a lot of our putts we could you could walk up to we know we'd know more or less what it was going to do because of just pure experience now we see that year in year out at something like the masters where the guys are going to the same course every year and they say a lot of putts there are by memory but you know, there's still a bit of reading involved in them, so it, it's going to be interesting. I, I find finding it a good challenge to to fully read the greens and see what they're doing. And they were for this time of year, they were running pretty quick. Like downhill putts, they can just get away from you. The like, what they'll do in the summer is actually a little bit scary. The one thing about the greens, and I thought they were excellent, is is just also the sheer size of them. Mm. Um, compared, you know, well, compared to Glen the Downs, compared yeah. to Glen the Downs, um, you can I think. Some of them are 44, 45, 50 yards in, in length. Oh, easily, yeah. You know, like, they, uh, there's, there's some brilliant opportunities. It's going to leave a lot of times where you're hitting, you know, two putts to to, to hold power or to, to get points. It's definitely a different type of challenge. Mm. Um, the interesting thing is that I got the Bushnell uh, V4 Slope Edition, the new one, and on the second hole and I've been using this now, I haven't had a chance to use it too often, you can't use the slope aspect in uh, in competition. So basically, it will do a calculation from the pin to the drop in elevation or mm-hmm. high, high or low, and will then give you what they claim is the true figure. The adjusted the yardage. yardage, yeah, yeah. Um, and on the second hole, for instance, which is a par five down the hill, 
um, from the tee box to the first bunker, which is where we took it, there was a 25-yard drop in distance. I think it was playing like 275, but actually the true amount was like 250. And then it was, standing, it was worth 300, actually. It was 300 yards. It was only playing 275 because it was so far downhill. Yeah, yeah. Um, it worked the opposite on the, on the upslope. So. But it was, it was 25 <laughs> yards shorter. So it was, it's, it was a really good test of the Bushnell to see the actual slope in such mm. a distinct way. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, it, it's going to be interesting. Um, I, I, I like the fact that the practice area is right beside the first tee box. So, you know, proper drive, driving range, proper decent putting, two putting greens, in fact. Two uh, putting greens, a driving range, a covered driving range as well. It's, the, whole, the whole setup is an awful lot more sorted than Glen of the Downs was. And, to be honest, I'm feeling a little bit spoiled when I when I I know it's only once I've driven in there as a a new member, but I feel a little more spoiled going in there than I did in Glendalens. Now, that's possibly a little bit because I was in Glendalens for twenty years, and possibly a little bit because this is brand new. But you're driving in; it's there's some houses on the property at the very front of the property when you drive in between these beautiful front gates, and there's the big hotel on the left, and the hotel's a five star. There's a health spa and everything, so it's it feels just a little bit more special and more of, I don't know, it's, it's just good. I, it's hard, it's hard to describe, but you just, uh, well, sometimes after 20 more. years, you need a change, which is, uh, which is what's going to happen. Uh, we're going to be using our, um, our game golf systems again. Um, we'll be back on that. Yeah. Like, like I said, one of our, I can't remember who it was, one of our listeners was asking to be game golf. And I said that we didn't want to blow up the game golf servers because it had been a while since we played and there could have been a lot of shots in there. Yeah. Uh, it, I don't think it was that bad. I actually think that we kind of got back into the rhythm pretty quickly. There was a few loose L putts or chips, but there wasn't anything significantly worrying uh, for the fact that we haven't really been playing. Yeah, but we will get back to doing the, the game golf mm. um, from from next week on. We're, this weekend, we're playing Killeen Castle. Yep. Can't wait for that. Team of four event. Uh, back to the Jack Nicholas course. Last time we played, it was the... Off the black tees, was it? Yeah, the black Sunday. So yeah, uh, that was that, it. Will not get harder than that. That was windy, rainy, and seven thousand almost seven thousand seven hundred yards. Well, <laughs> so. I think it could still be windy and rainy, but just not off seven thousand six hundred yards. But uh, um, we might charge up the machines and uh, bring oh, the game we'll, golf. Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll, we'll game yeah. golf that for sure. And yeah, we're, we're back to it now. I'll be interested. Like you, one of the things you've been saying about Druid's Heath is that because the greens are bigger, your green and reg stats should by default go up be interesting to see how much they'll go up by you know versus what they were in Glendalens last year I mean there's an obvious you know potential for your game to improve because of practice and work you're doing with Mark O'Mahony but there's also that uh, the size of the greens might help your green and reg stats go up and then see can you match that with a maybe a little bit of improvement in the, in the putting or even just keep your putting at the same level as it was last year your score is going to be better well yeah like ultimately it will be interesting to see one your three three and four putt stats might uh, I don't think I've ever had a four putt on the uh, on, on the game golf system uh, probably because I threw the putter away after the third one so I never, <laughs> never clocked it but all joking aside there's never been a situation where I've had a four putt there is every opportunity on some of the greens that are in the heat to find yourself on four putt territory That's kind of an evil idea uh, that we could have maybe a forfeit for any for whoever if either of us have a four putt there should be a forfeit maybe a five putt comes up with something pretty nasty uh, and, and there's there is high potential for this happening here I mean if the if the hole is cut on any sort of a slope and you catch the top edge on the downhill putt that thing can sail five ten foot down you know by very easily but so. it would be interesting to see because we'll see probably the, the greens in reg will go up but also possibly the the, so the, putts. the the putts won't necessarily drop, and if they don't drop, you know, then it's a case of I we talked about this at the weekend that it's going to be the person who can two pull a lot of the greens mm-hmm. is going to you know because I hit even on eighteen like I hit a, a rescue into the eighteenth and you know it was like two ten two fifteen and I made the green but the green was so big that like you know anywhere towards it it was going to be on the green but i still think i left myself probably 60 foot for 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 the pot you know so it was just one of those days it's it's going to be a course that will take a lot of work to to narrow that 
onto the green and say actually yeah the green's huge but I need to be back left or back right you're going to have to start dissecting it and say sure, sure. anywhere on the green isn't just good enough when where, learning where to hit it on the green for where the pin is you know there's there's hollows there's swales there's you know big hills to come up and and where the pin is and where you can miss versus where the pins are it's it's going to take a little bit of work and I'm looking forward to it. Like it's, it, it's a challenge. It, it's it, it's we, something new, as you say. It's, it, it'll force us to be a bit better. And um, it was actually Mark Sheehan who asked us about game golf. So thanks for the, sh- the tweet there, Mark. And we'll be back on that. And I'm sure it'll be highlighting some um, er- uh, some areas of our game that we need to improve before qualifying season kicks in. But, you know, the weather's all right at the moment, and that that could come around a lot quicker than we think. Well, here's hoping. Um, they did have qualifying open competitions up in uh, up in the heat uh, come March of last year, so can't see why there there wouldn't be that uh, chance for that to happen again. But we'll see what the weather holds. Um, again, the Twitter is a, a good talk golf is the Twitter handle. A good talk spoiled at gmail dot com is the email if anyone would like to get in contact with us. A few, I suppose, uh, stories from the week. Um, the main one, I suppose, is that the U.S. Open purses has really gone quite substantially higher. It's now going up to $12 million. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a big prize fund. It's a 20% hike over last year. It's um, huge. It's now, it's now the richest inve- event in golf. And it is going to, you know, it's, it's hard to see how much more money for prizes that can be thrown because it's got to be about the, the TV revenue. It's got to be about sponsorship. And with dwindling numbers um, still in the game, it's it's hard to see how they are finding the revenue streams unless they're looking this at the Asian markets and looking at expansion over there. It's hard to see. There has the to be revenue coming. coming in from there. But this is the thing that baffles me, right? So you got to see most tournaments out there are increasing their prize funds year on year. You have the new Rolex series in Europe; those prize funds have all been juiced a little bit. They've all got to a minimum level of seven million. You've got the U.S. Open here going up to twelve million. I mean, this it's it's at odds to the the stories and the rhetoric that goes around that golf is a dwindling sport and you know grow the game and I, I think the one thing that golf really struggles with is getting an accurate handle or an accurate figure on how many active players they are because you know you've got your registered players with the national associations who have official handicaps and they more or less will go out and play regularly enough but. There's so many casual golfers as well. It's really hard to get accurate figures on whether golf is growing or whether it's declining. And if, if you look at the, the professional game, it's just growing and growing and going from strength to strength. And um, hopefully hopefully that is reflecting in the actual real on-the-ground numbers for you know, recreational golfers. Like it surpasses now the figure for the Players' Championship and the PGA Championship, which were the highest payouts at 10.5 million. It's obviously going to require perhaps those guys to lift their game and you know at some point i just don't know where all the money's coming from because you can only put so many people through the turnstiles and expect them to pay a certain amount Mm. the tv revenue isn't in the same sphere as an nfl or british premier league you know soccer contract so this isn't multi-billions um it, it just seems to me like you know, it's a hell of a lot of cash, and 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 fair enough, but it's uh, it's where it's going to end, and and the fear that all of a sudden they just burst the balloon and find that it's just been exaggerated to the point of unsustainable. Could be, or I mean, who knows? It could just keep going. I mean, you're looking at some, you know, you could get an event in in the far east that could put up a fifteen million purse. That's going to attract the guys a lot. You know, even if it's a brand new event, I mean, when are you going to get to something where the winner will get a five million payout for winning a single event? I mean, not just on FedEx Cup kind of terms where you're winning the FedEx Cup, but, you know, a massive, massive payday for playing one single tournament. And it's it's very possible and plausible that this could happen in the not too distant future. Yeah, I suppose uh, it also gets to a point where ultimately... Um you know the, the the winning check is is perhaps sometimes more uh, more of a an incentive to some of these players than actually the title of U.S. Open or a major winner. That mm. you know this is life changing money, and ultimately for one guy, yeah, okay, I'm a major winner, but to be honest, I don't care because the, the the cash that I've gotten out of this is is actually so much more important to me, and it moves away from you know 
like the Ryder Cup, has always been that event that doesn't have cash because it is the pure honour of playing for your continent. Mm. What? When does it get to a point where the, the, the cash is far more important than perhaps the title? Um, and do people then just pick and choose, I'll play this event or that event, I'm not playing those events, even though they historically are more... Um, you know they're 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 much more well sought after, mm-hmm. but their prize money can't compete with the event that's happening down the road, which is a Johnny Come Lately event or another event. But the prize fund is so much bigger, and you know it's hard to to say to somebody you should play at the prestigious event over the money event. I don't uh, think they'll ever take over the majors. You know they won't be able to, one of those big these hypothetical big money events would never take over what a major would do. We all know that a major win. The whatever the 1.5 1.8 2 million that you win as the the major winner is is actually the small change compared to what you get with your endorsements and, mm. and you know ads on TV or whatever you can manage to generate out of the the PR that you gain from winning a major but do you think that that, that when the pros sit down or some pros sit down they're looking at okay obviously the majors are a separate mm. entity but when you look at the the, the tournaments underneath that they're looking at what's the prize fund in that rather than Absolutely. what's the title that I'll get or sure. what's the what's the honour that I get for winning that tournament or the history that it it, it, it it comes with. And you have to imagine that's exactly the reason why the European Tour have gone and put a structure on their higher money events and they've brought out rolled out this Rolex series. You know, they're trying to attract the best players in the world with money. They're dangling that card in front of them and saying, Here's a competing event on this golf course come over here instead of playing the PGA Tour take a week off the PGA Tour and just come over here for a little holiday you've got a chance to win huge money and they've structured it very well also with you know having the Irish Open and the Scottish Open leading up to the Open Championship that's great but having those as big money events is really kind of saying to the Americans come on over take a three week swing over here get your game Lynx sharp they're both played on Lynx golf courses get it ready for the Open Championship you're trying to win the oldest tournament in golf it's this is all because you're being torn. How long do you think we're away from just having a global tour. tournament and tour rather than a situation where you know we have the, the the PGA, the European, the kind of now we have the European that kind of goes into Asia and goes to Australia and well, South Africa and so on and so forth. And when will we just get a true global tour where you'll have maybe? 10 or 15 premier events around the globe that the, the the top 50 top 75 will always play at and then it's nearly like a relegation type idea the next 75 you're playing in the next tier events and the next tier events mm. and when you're 74th or 63rd or whatever you get the opportunity to play in a in the world series of you know maybe 15 20 25 it's big a, big events. It's a hard one to see. I mean, the European Tour, for for all intents and purposes, now is a rest of world tour everywhere except um, North America. So it plays and well, and it actually doesn't it doesn't visit South America. So everywhere but the Americas, the European Tour pretty much goes now. So that's that's the that's the thing. It's how big can that get to make it to make the PGA Tour take notice and go? We actually. We're fighting against each other now. We need to get together. The, I don't think the European Tour is quite big enough yet to make the PGA Tour think twice about what its product is, and it might be losing some of its product to the European Tour. But the European Tour has taken a very big step with this Rolex series towards getting itself to a bigger status and making itself a bit more heard and noticed, and could potentially poach some players from the PGA Tour who actually choose, I want to go play the European Tour now because of this, because of the structure they put in it. And- and I'd assume that what the European Tour, and we weren't quite going to get into this tonight, but we will now, um, I assume the European Tour are also looking at trying to poach quite a few of the young lads coming off the web, web.com to come and, and, and make, because, yes, it's full tour status, yes, you know, bigger events, better ranking points and so on, and that it's a case of come over, play the European slash world tour, as you say, um. I just wonder how long it's going to be before we realise that as a global entity, golf isn't just a European tour, a PGA tour, that it's just one massive world tour and that they end up having kind of the category A events Mm. and then this category B event and a category C and there could be three events taking place, you know, one in America, 
one in Europe, one in wherever. And depending on where you are in world rankings gets you the ability to enter various tournaments. And, you know, we're going to end up in a situation... Because the great thing about the, the, the majors is that it is the best in the world mm-hmm. to turn up. And that's where the money is. And if we see increases in revenue, increases in, in prize money, you need the top 75, top 100, top 120 world players turning up at, you know to these events because that brings the TV, it brings the fans, it brings the sponsorship. Um, and is that the next level of what this that, that golf in 2020, 2025 will look like where it's... Uh, I, I fear, I, I think it'll be a much longer process than that. I think one of the biggest stumbling blocks you'll find is the PJ Tour is very settled into its, its American time zones. It's three-hour window. So if they're now losing the ability to host to host the big event of the week to a different time zone, all that TV revenue that's generated is lost because people aren't watching the tournament because it's out in Asia or it's in Australia. And you that you need to make sure there's an equivalent audience in those parts of the world where that where that world tour tournament is being held that week to make up for the money that's being that the PJ Tour will perceive they themselves as losing that week because they have no audiences what or very little audience watching in America. So there's I mean there's a lot of things that need to slot into place and a lot of balancing to be done for it to even become a reality. But I mean Well it starts who, the who conversation. Uh, yeah. if anybody has any views, the Twitter handle is a good talk golf. Um, we won't solve it here tonight anyway, that's for sure. No, and I don't think thankfully it's our job to uh do so, but it will be interesting to see where it's uh where it's going to unfold. Um I suppose just two very brief other pieces of news. Lydia Co has uh, announced today that uh, the South African Gary Gilchrist is now going to be her new coach. Um, he's ranked as one of the, the top 100 uh, teachers in, in the world and he previously coached Michelle Wee. So interesting for the 19-year-old who's won uh, 15 times under Ledbetter that she's, she's going in a different direction and to see, what, uh, to see what's going to happen. Which proves that golf, all golfers are tinkerers. They're always looking for that little perf- bit more perfection or get closer to perfection. And yeah. who, who knows the reasons behind it? They might might have had a difference of opinion. or Maybe you know. it's just a different voice is yeah. needed. Um, there is going to be a different voice on her own bag because uh, Jason Hamilton is also uh, moving uh, aside. Um, and Gary Matthews is also South African, is now going to be our caddy. So... Uh, interesting just keeping an eye on kind of the, the bits and pieces that are happening. That, that is the, clearing the house, isn't it? Certainly is. Um, talking about, I suppose, this week, uh, what are we, about 20 minutes, 25 minutes in and uh, on Tiger Watch, uh, no update as to whether or not he's going to be playing next week. Um, we have his, his good friend, Mr. Begay, um, is talking about how Tiger's workouts have drastically changed since the surgery. He's been relatively quiet despite uh, sitting down with Peter Dawson um, to do an interview. Um, we haven't really heard any update as of now with regard to the spasm of the back. Is it over? Is it not? Is he playing next week? Is he not? So I suppose, um, as I read earlier on one one of the, the websites, sure, it's another week of, you know, what what is happening with Tiger? Is he going to be playing? Um if anything happens, you know you can certainly keep keep in contact at a good talk golf on Twitter and. Uh, I could be irresponsible us to think or to even make suggestions about our thoughts about what's going on. So I, I guess yeah. No, well, I sit think, I think, see if he comes I think back ultimately and, we all want to see him come back. And mm. We want to see him compete, um, but as of now, we just don't know what's happening next week. One theory is uh, as good as the next. I mean, he could be lengthening his Masters odds by just consistently dropping out of tournaments. Well, I I was thinking that uh, you know. Gary Murphy was making the point on, on the Irish radio station here during the week that uh, you'd be probably not bad going and finding a um, a decent price for Tiger not teeing it up at the Masters because uh, there's every chance that he's not going to turn up. But next week will be interesting to see, does he play or does he not? Um, but as I say, on Tiger Watch, there is no uh, no answer as to whether or not Tiger is playing at the moment. He has gone into uh, into the den and he's staying relatively quiet. You didn't just make a pawn, did you? <laughs> uh, I did actually, yeah, you're right. That's exactly what I did. Um, 
there is very briefly a couple of rule changes, Barry, that I suppose you were going to just highlight uh, to people for, for the 2019. Yeah, uh, the Ornay and the USGA are considering a few uh, tweaks to the rules, and I guess it's all on the back of what happened with Dustin Johnson last year. They've kind of, they've adopted the rule about the ball moving on the green, and I think they're they're seeing the, the value and the... I suppose the, the the movement or the public movement against these silly rules in golf, and they're they're trying to embrace them as fast as possible. So, um, one that's been ridiculous for years is the the spike marks on greens. So I think they're they're looking at being able to tap down spike marks in twenty nineteen. They're running a test on these rules this year, and they're looking at. But the off- ball moving on the green and the anchoring band, they're they're coming in. They're mm. they're not being tested. But the no, no, sorry, the, yeah. the next ones are yeah, being yeah. tested this year to see. Does it help? Um, um, yeah, so the other ones they're looking for, I suppose, the, with the goal of speeding up golf a little bit, is reducing the time to look for a ball from five minutes to three minutes. Not ridiculous. I mean, if you keep watching where your ball goes, you're looking at an area, this, you know, you're going to find it, you don't, you know. If you think about it, most of the time when you go to look for your ball, you find it pretty quickly if you, if you know where it's landed. It's rare that you find it in like the fourth or the, you know, the, the, the latter minutes. It's amazing, though, how many times I've played in a round of golf, um, not just with you, but with anybody, and they don't even look at the time that they commence. They just take a gut feeling. Oh, yeah. oh five minutes is probably just about up, and you've been there. Like, Have you ever started a clock on yourself to, when you're looking for a ball? Um, I, I, would, I would tend to, to have a fairly good idea because I'd have a clock on, on the power caddy, so mm. when I get there, I'd have a good idea that it's like you know 20 past or 21 minute past. Um, am I walking over to check oh okay four minutes I have one minute left no mm-hmm. um, I did notice when we played in a pro-am with Marco Manny he actually took out and said to the group you know it's 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 123 lads yeah. and he actually kept us very much informed of and in fact he was I think we located the ball at probably about 15 seconds after five minutes and he said no it's, it's, it's too late we're going back um, this is for his ball, wasn't for it? For his ball, yeah. Um, so three minutes to look for the ball. I think that that's fine if people again actually look at the time and decide. Yeah. When does the three minutes start? Um, and not kind of go three wink uh, after four and it's been found. Sure, it's it's not a terrible idea. Um, it might it might drive slight slight variations in how courses are set up. But look, let's see if it comes in in the first place. Um, the other one is take. I don't really understand this. Is taking a drop from any height? I mean, how like from your ankle height? Are you trying to like? I don't know. I don't get it. So let's see. It doesn't I'm, seem to me. What what is sense. what is wrong with just holding your arm out at shoulder height and dropping it? I mean, is this is this to like get away from the difference in height between different people? Some people are dropping it for higher than the other. Should you drop it from the height of a driver? How long is a driver? I mean, so I just don't know. practice your drops. That's what I say. Absolutely. Just here, your here. Drops, lads. Um, and then they're talking about maybe converting ye- yellow stakes uh, and only having red stakes. Which we, I think we've talked about this a bit before. Maybe not on the show, but we don't think it's a bad idea. You no. know, it removes it removes one area of rules that we need to understand as golfers. Well, and I would, wonder. I would just say many... they're all red stakes, and then you have one area to learn, and it's a simple thing. Again. A good talk golf is the Twitter handle. I would, I'd be really interested to know how many people know the difference between what a yellow stake and a red stake is, because I think there's rules like that that most average club golfers don't know the difference between, mm. you know, a normal water hazard and lateral water hazards, and where they can and can't do. The amount of times you say to somebody, "No, it's a red stake," you can go either side, or you know. They don't, they, don't, or, or, they don't have a clue and uh, you know also the amount of times that I've played with people who have gone oh my ball went in there uh, what do I do and you go you've got to go to the point of entry as far back as you want you know they, some people some of the basic rules club golfers don't know and even even the basic things they don't know there's very little chance they're going to know the nuances mm. of certain bits so I think things like this simplify it for the members uh, I, normal golf clubs definitely worth your while learning those ones for sure because there's there's advantage well sorry it's not it's not an advantage when your ball gets lost in a hazard but there are advantages to be gained from the bad situation that you're in and having to take a drop and you if you know how to use the rules you can gain a much easier recovery shot from what your shitty situation so 
was it Dustin last year that knew the rules in terms of the watchtower? The line of sight. The line of sight. Yeah. And then he ended up playing it straight over it anyway. Uh, I play. I was caddying uh, for Mark Amani in a pro-am where we found um, uh, Walton's ball under a tree. He was dense into, into it. And he said, I'm going to deem this unplayable and I'm going to go back. I grabbed um, the club that he wanted and I went back with him. And we went back 60, 70, 80 yards yeah. out of the crap onto the fairway of the neighbouring mm-hmm. hole. And he dropped the ball, played over, got up and down and ended up with just with, well, one shot drop. Instead of you know, hacking seven or eight times in the bushes and the trees. Speed, speeds the golf up. You're not breaking wrists. Mm. You're, you're taking your medicine. But some people would say, oh, well, it's only two club lengths. It's not. You can go back as far in line of sight yeah. without any going anywhere near the hole. A little, little bit of golf study pays off a lot. And we've found that over the years. And we're always learning as we go along because there are like 18 million pages worth of golf rules. And um, I think that that's one of their overall thing. Feeling you get from what the RNA and USGA are trying to do is simplify it. And um, the, I think... One of them is saying that these these rules are written by lawyers, and the you know the regular guy in the street doesn't understand it. James might, or sorry, you ought to because you're a barrister. But even then, they're still confusing, and you know, yeah, there's, but there's a, there's a lot, lot of nuances, and there's sure. a lot of like you know, is the comma in the right place? You know, and there's a lot of interpretation. Of course, hence why there's the rules of golf. And then there's the really ginormous book of decisions that attaches to the... What is that, a thousand pages? I something? have no idea, but it just gets bigger and bigger. Look, let's move on and we look at the, the, the tournaments that took place last week. In the European Tour, we're playing the Omega Dubai Desert Classic. It was at the Emirates Golf Club, Dubai. It was being played over the 7,328 yard par 72 Sergio Garcia ultimately won out at uh, 19-under, three shots clear of Henrik Stenson. And then there was kind of a bit of a trailing pack behind them of Jensen, Hatton, Fitzpatrick, Peter Uline, Brandon Stone, uh, Stephen Gallagher, and kind of everybody else kind of, you know, rounding off the top 10 were, were quite some distance back. Um, 12th European Tour title for Sergio um, pretty much just dominated wire to wire at this tournament. It really was just a case of Sergio, 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 Sergio. Took pole uh, position for round one and just drove away with it. Yeah, really, really good performance. Um, 65, 67, 68, 69, you know, four sub 70 rounds uh, for 269. Um, just nobody could quite, you know, match that 65 on the first day that little getting his nose in front of that time and then just maintaining it yeah you know but it was it was a steady very very well put together four rounds by Sergio and times that he was in trouble he seemed to be able to get up and out and you know and uh, you know uh, good to see Henrik Stenson there early in the season you know fighting obviously somebody that you you are always uh, keen with but three shots back but he never really looked like he was going to get anywhere closer than every that. time it felt like he might kind of get closer to put a bit of pressure on Sergio Sergio would pop in with a birdie or you know he finished the round on was it Saturday night in the dark really well with a couple of birdies and the birdie put on 18 he made was the only light that was on the green as you were saying was from the um, from the hospitality the tent hospitality, uh, units yeah. around the green which is um Ah, superb like really good performance great to see him there Sergio's still got it will he win a major who knows let's talk about it when the Masters well, comes up yeah like Henrik Stenson played well Matthew Fitzpatrick again he, he seems to really enjoy his time out in the desert you know it's it's another mm. good week for him um, it's good to see Peter Uline back into a little bit of form and um, we're big fans of his so uh, hopefully that's not just a, a, a blip good week hopefully it's a turning point and he yeah, show, like, show what he can really do. You know, the likes of other people, if you kind of took Sergio away and a couple of the guys who got out, uh, him and, and Stenson, there was a lot of decent performances. Rafa Cabrera Bailo, you know, finished at uh, at 9 under, uh, joint joint 11th. But again, 71, 269s and a 70. You know, a pretty solid week's golf. There was nothing in there that was horrendous. But again, it's it's not even a top 10, so it shows the the, the, the quality that was there. Graham McDowell, hopefully for him, this is the start of perhaps the next chapter. That you know. warms my heart to see him up there and being shown on TV again. God, I, we've fingers crossed for this like to be. This is like a good, good, 
that early year performance and hopefully you can kick on and things will start working out and the game will fall yeah. into place and two two sixty eights and two seventy two rounds. So like, you know, <laughs> that's about as consistent as you can get. Uh Gray McDowell, you know, he's the kind of guy with a bit of confidence, a few good top ten finishes. You know, you could really see him, you know, again right back in the hunt of majors and competitions that is where I think for him he should be at. He's got too good a game to be gone. Um Ian Poulter, I suppose, just to to talk about him for a second, you know, fifteenth, seven under, but you know, unfortunate a, a dreadful final round, seventy six. But ultimately it's it's good to see him back post the injury and mm-hmm. uh, you know, posting a, a top fifteen finish. Um other than that, I suppose by was there anything that kind of, you know, Paul Dunn, the Irish uh, you know, again started pretty well at 70 72 69 but that second day 75 just seems to there's always that one round with Paul that just seems to suck a bit of the energy out and a bit of the oxygen he'll figure it out it's another another few quid to the tally for the year and you know every week's a learning learning experience and he'll work out how to put those four rounds together um, and he's still we, we, we can, that's the thing and look everyone can see he's got talent pouring out of him so it's just about how to how he kind of structures his week and uh, he'll figure he'll figure out how to put it all together um, not worried about Paul and uh, I'm sure we'll see him up in contention and fighting it right down to the 18th some Sunday uh, in the not too distant future well congratulations to Sergio and hopefully it's the start of a, a, a successful season for him the PGA Tour was at the Waste Management Phoenix Open and the TPC Scottsdale Stadium course and as we said last week this was really this is the famous uh, six, famous 16th par 3. Um, played over the 7,261-yard par 71. After a long, long battle, um, Hideki Matsuyama ended up outlasting Webb Simpson, who kind of, again, Matsuyama finding a way of coming from behind uh, after 54 holes to, to win this tournament. And um, Webb Simpson took a driver on the last um, playoff hole it's the relatively short par 4 it's got water down the left it, it kind of narrows towards the back with a bunker in the middle that is a great hole super hole most of the week when the pin is you know on, on the last day the pin is at the back so it's very very difficult to, to you know if you're you block yourself out and it's what Webb Simpson ultimately did he blocked himself out with regard to he, the, the the bunker he was a little unlucky with the kick right his drive took um on the way up the green but he I it just yeah look this it was unfortunate he probably could have been a little bit more aggressive with his push when he was trying to hit it through a swooping kind of um, angle on the green to, to, to it would kind of kick it towards the pin he said he left it probably eight ten foot short of where he ideally would have got it to and uh, look they they both had so many chances to win that tournament over on the 18th and then on the first three playoff holes with both of them leaving a putt on the edge of the hole um on a, Hideki on a couple of occasions and look Hideki he's been uh, he's been sensational since October absolutely phenomenal and uh, he was given a really good opening on that 17th and he drilled on that 10 footer it was he was celebrating when it was still when it was two foot out it, it, it it's it's great to see Matsuyama win he he follows on the fantastic form that he's been you know showing over the last couple of uh, months we talked about him last week as a player for this season this has got to strengthen that uh, suggestion that Matsuyama really now needs to kind of kick on it particularly not just the regular tour events mm. but come the majors he needs to be there or thereabouts he has been there occasionally do you think this kind of constant comment about being you know the first player from his country to win a major yeah. uh, like do you think that's something that you know he obviously knows it. like there's just simply no doubt that if you've come through a sport you're going to be aware of the history of your country in the sport but do you think there comes a point in time where you know it it becomes much more of a burden to him 
Or do you think he really is thinking that come 14, 15, 16 holes on a Sunday? Uh, honestly, I think Hideki's thinking this is the first time Hideki has a chance to win a major. Or sorry, this is the chance Hideki has to win his first major, not my country's first major. I, I'd say that storyline is so overused now. It's probably just hit saturation point in him and he's like probably desensitized to it. The, the real pressure is the internal pressure he's putting on himself. This is my... Hideki's chance to win Hideki's first major. Let's forget about the... The, you know, representing Japan and winning Japan's first major obviously that's a big honour but he's got to take care of himself first before all of those other accolades come along well one will take care of itself Yeah, you win you win your first major and Absolutely. it happens as your country does um, look he's, he's there's no doubt he's got the game his putting has gone up a level you know, and the, the commentators are talking about how much more natural it looks right now with the stroke his long game is he's, he's got a, an all round great game and even his bad shots when he's like one handed, uh, you know, was one handed follow throughs, and he's cursing at himself. Are you know, really, really good shots. So it's kind of funny. You just don't know when Hideki's hit a great shot or when he's hit a, a poor shot. But it shows the standard he holds himself to when he hasn't executed a shot as he's in, you know, had it in his mind before he's hit it. So um, look, I guess we'll just we'll see what happens when uh, when the clock ticks around to uh, Magnolia Lane in a few weeks. Before before we move away from the tournament, uh, I don't think we can leave without talking about uh, uh, Hong An's back nine collapse. Um, it, it it wasn't pleasant to watch. Um, I think probably thankfully for him, we're talking about Matsuyama rather than talking about the collapse that occurred. Um, how damaging will this be for his confidence? Um, nah, Grant, he'll be fine. <laughs> don't worry about it. He's he's a great golfer and. Um, He'll learn how to manage his emotions and his feelings in that situation better the next time. Um, what is it they say? If you learn more through, uh, you learn more from losing than you do from winning. And he'll uh, he'll know exactly, or he'll have a much better idea about what to do when he's in that situation on the PGA Tour again. And ultimately, for him, you know, he only has to look at somebody like uh, Rory at, at, at the Masters to see what what you can do. Go on a couple of weeks later and go and win your first, uh, you know, win the next major. Um, that was a record crowd they had there this week. I was going to say six hundred and eighteen thousand three hundred and sixty-five um, was the previous mark, and it was uh, beaten this year. Um, six hundred and fifty-five thousand four hundred and thirty-four. They're going to build a bigger stadium uh, around that sixteen. Really? I think if uh, if they think they can oh, fit okay. a few more people in. <laughs> I say they could build a fifty thousand seater and probably fill it for a couple of the days at least. The the only complaint uh, that I had about this. Uh, was that simply by the time the playoffs I was flicking pretty much off to the Super Bowl and I'd say that they probably saw a very significant drain on their viewership that occurred uh, towards the fourth final Mm -hmm. you know the fourth playoff hole they need to sort this out they need to either go earlier or they need to finish on a uh, on a Saturday because I would say that our American friends um, like quite a few of the people on this side of the pond pretty much flicked over to watch Atlanta and yeah. New England or split screening if they can or putting on their laptop or something yeah I'd say they lost quite a lot of uh, viewers to the, the NFL um, and no surprise it's a, it is one of the biggest sporting events of the year on a global basis so uh, yeah, not, not shocked at that but the, uh, the playoff was pretty entertaining and uh, well done to Hideki hard, yep. hard graph to Webb Simpson played very well and was and within a role of winning it, and you know, so uh, it could be could be him coming back to a little bit of form, and and, and ultimately we'll, we'll leave it at, at as you say to congratulate Matsuyama who became the only the sixth player to successfully defend the title, and uh, he's in pretty good company with all five being Hall of Famers and Ben Hogan, Jimmy Dermott, uh, Lloyd Mangrum, Arnold Palmer, and Johnny Miller. So uh, first person since. Johnny Miller in 1974-75 to, to go back-to-back defending. So it's a pretty uh, pretty illustrious group that uh, Matsuyama joined at the weekend. So congratulations to him. Uh, no LPGA last week or this week. Again, it, it's going to return after their break on the 16th of February. The European Tours uh, next event is the Maybank Championship in... Not Europe. Not Europe. It's yeah, in Malaysia, well. in Kuala Lumpur. Uh, but and I have the odds of the first top few here. So, a bit of a weakened field. Actually, a lot of a weakened field. Rafa Cabrera Bayo leading the odds, but deservedly so. He's been playing great recently. He's 12 to 1, along with Charles Schwartzel and Bernd Wiesberger. Uh, Jung Hung Wang is 18 to 1, alongside Lee Westwood. 
and then you have the Asian specialist Sandra Van Lahiri and Tong Chai Jai D. Uh, they're twenty two and twenty five to one, and uh, you have a smattering of those you know mid high level European pros um, coming in there. You've Thomas Aiken, Afi Barnrash, Danny Willett is thirty three to one. I suppose reflecting his form of late. Tommy Fleetwood, Marcus Fraser, and Peter Uline is uh, he's forty to one. That's generous enough for somebody who's shown a little bit of form last week. So I guess we will uh, see what happens over the weekend. Yeah, and I suppose then just uh, looking at the PGA Tour, the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am, it's being played over the three courses. It's Pebble Beach, Spyglass, and the Monterey uh, Peninsula Golf Club. I suppose this is uh, one of these great events where kind of the main golf kind of takes a back seat and it's it's more about Bill Murray and uh, all of the, the amateurs. Um, they usually... Um, you know, don't take it too seriously. It's a bit of fun. It's like nearly not not one. I don't want to say it's a kind of a season opener, but it kind of used to be a season opener. It's now no longer with the wraparound seasons and everything yeah. seems to start in October, November. It still kind of feels like that because Pebble's such a special place in golf, doesn't it? It feels like right now, now it's now it's getting serious. Now we're now we're kicking into gear. And look, it is good fun. It can be a bit tedious to watch at times when it gets you know it gets slow or. The, you know, or you know, they put too much focus on the amateurs. But I think overall, it's it's a good bit of fun. It's a, it's a break from the regular, you know, the regular PGA Tour events. So uh, I, I usually enjoy watching a good bit, of it. and it's fun watching the the amateurs get their swings analyzed and you know, the pro tracer on them. So you know, it's it's a bit of bit of good diversion. So that's not to say that the pros have averted coming to it. Some of the big names are here this week. Jason Day and Dustin Johnson and Jordan Speed are tied favorites at sixteen to one. Phil Mickelson, Justin Rose are 22s. Webb Simpson, Gary Woodland, Brant Snedeker, previous winner of this at 30 to 1. Adam Hadwin, Chris Kirk, Steve Stricker, JB Holmes, McGirt, Kisner, Laird, Kucher. You know, some, some good names there, and a lot of pros are going to be playing with some uh, pretty cool celebrities over the course of the three days before the, the cuts made for the final round in Pebble Beach. Yeah, like it's it's uh, it's a great event. I, I really enjoy it because I do like to see the, the amateurs. Now, some of the amateurs are off like one two three like it's yeah they're, they're they're not amateur amateurs um i was watching highlights from last year earlier today and uh bill murray was telling the really bad joke and then hit a wedge and nearly held it from like you know 120 yards out so it's it is a lot of fun it's it's a good tournament and uh you know it's uh it's one that i think sometimes when it comes to the betting you can kind of find it a bit of a struggle because some guys you know they, they just they they enjoy this uh, atmosphere yeah. and other guys don't um, Does, yeah, ultimately it seems like a lot of them have fun and it raises a whole load of money for you know good causes so how, how can that be a bad thing well um, that's it there's a lot of entertainment yeah. to be had so something to keep us uh, something to keep us occupied over the weekend and looking at the beautiful courses over there in California and sometimes it's funny looking and going celebrity who yeah. <laughs> yeah. never heard of them yeah uh, so look, that's that's the ATT AT and T Pebble Beach Pro Am. It's uh, it's taking place this weekend. Uh, that pretty much just kind of leads me to wrap up and say to to all the listeners, thanks a million. You can get us on Twitter. It's a good talk golf is the Twitter handle. Keep the uh, the conversation going with us. Uh, any feedback is always um, welcomed, and uh, the email is a good talk spoiled at gmail dot com. Uh, that just leaves me to say thanks a million and goodbye, Barry. Cheers, James. Cheers, guys, for listening and tuning in, and uh, we'll talk to you all next week. Adios. Bye-bye, <laughs> 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 Well, goodbye. Bye-bye. <laughs>